Welcome to Steam Powered, where I have conversations with women in Steam to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Anna Ritzema. Anna is a STEM educator and a primary programs and STEM innovations manager in rural and regional Western Australia. Join us as we speak about Anna's journey, inquiry-based learning, and how we can guide students through their curiosity and help them to succeed. Good morning, Anna. Thank you so much for joining me today on Steam Powered. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you again, talking more about your wonderful experiences through education. Good morning. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's wonderful. Okay, so get straight into it. You basically got into education as your field of preference, but what attracted you to education to start with? Oh, I don't, you know, I think when I was very young, um, I'm from a kind of my family role in the medical field. And I kind of thought that was the transition I was going to go into. I wanted to be a doctor. And um, I think my father's actually um, in ophthalmology. And I remember going for a day in the hospital and seeing um, lots of eyes over a period of a day and remember thinking, oh, I don't think I'm cut out to be this. Probably wasn't my projection <laughs> medicine. It was the only one I had. So I went to that and I remember yeah. thinking, I, I think it was probably the nurturing, the need, you know, helping. And I remember um, always being at birthday parties and always working with the little children. I'd be the one at the little children's table looking after them, colouring in. Um, and so I think that was probably where it came from. It really was a kind of a vocation in the sense that I loved being around younger people and helping and supporting them. Um, so I think that's probably where I ended up going into teaching um, and just really that kind of element of um, being around people who make you smile and laugh all day. And I find that that is something that children do all the time. Um, and I always feel that lovely yes. buzz when you come away and you've had a really good time with someone that relationships and relationships are super important. So that's pretty a real driver for me. Yeah, absolutely. And you develop so many relationships as a teacher in so mm. many ways and the way that you engage with people, really, it has an impact. And sometimes a lot of people forget about how much of an impact that can have on, you know, during your formative years. 100%. I think, you know, it is very common. I think we watch kind of celebrities on TV and the recent one was, you know, Adele and her singing and they asked about her favourite teacher and the teacher was there. And I think it's a very emotive thing because you have such a connection with someone who is your ally in an environment where you have your, you might have a really strong relationship with your parents or you might have, you know, it's for a lot of children, that relationship thing is key in a school. So I think um, we all mm -hmm. remember those teachers who changed the course of the, or the direction in which we thought we were going. Um, and, you know, interestingly, my favourite teacher was my English teacher. And, you know, I haven't gone into English, but um, the I remember just that feeling that when you were with him, that um, he just mesmerised or changed that whole lesson for you, you know. And I think as well, what was really important yeah. to me, and I always bear this in mind when I'm teaching myself, is that um, he used to come so prepared to a lesson. He'd have mounds of paperwork and he'd, and he'd talk passionately. And I think children are one of those, they can filter out things so quickly. And if they know you're not invested, that relationship is gone. So really key to kind of connect to a child and show them your dedication because that changes everything. You're, the, what you're passionate about is so related to that person who's delivered it to you in the first place. So yeah, that's for me the kind of the aim of teaching anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's so true because, you know, even once you get to university and your lecturers, 
if a teacher doesn't feel like they're engaging or that they care about the subject that they're teaching, you also want to clock out because like, well, if they don't care about it, then why should I? And you know, it, it's such an important thing to be able to convey that you are interested and you do care about this subject. And I think more and more so in my field with education and in that sort of STEM space, it's about that confidence and that belief that someone has given to you. You know, um, the amount of times you will see children coming up through and maybe they're not um, they're not maybe performing at the right level in an exam or a test. We know this kind of the education system in that sense. But you see something in them with that passion to drive for a science, one, especially in my field in science, and go, oh, my goodness, I'm going to believe in you that you've got that potential to change it. And I think that is hugely important because belief, someone believing in you is massive um, because you are more likely to overcome those challenges along the way, especially if you've yes. got that person beside you. So that is really important. It really is. Yeah. And yeah, just having that support. And you always remember the teachers who supported you the most. And even if it was just, you know, with a kind word or a nudge in the right direct direction. And that's all you really need as a start to build, yes. build that rapport and that level of trust to be able to help get them through that part of education. Very much so. Um, and it's interesting. I think for me, you know, I've been teaching now 20 years and I think, you know, the first part of my teaching when you're in the classroom and then I moved into a bit of professional learning teaching of teaching other teachers and especially in that science space. And, you know, science and STEM are really difficult a lot of the time and especially for teachers because the worry that you're going to get it wrong, you know, that, oh, I don't want to teach something if yeah. it's going to be wrong. And I think that's really important that it's actually the passion and the drive that you have. And I always used to say to teachers, you know, when a child's up on stage getting their noble uh, award for physics or for chemistry or whatever it is in that STEM field, um, it'll not be for the moment that you got, you mixed up a context of maths and weight in your year six or year seven lesson. They won't be remembering that. They'll be remembering when you stood on top of the desk and jumped off and was illustrating gravity and you took them out to the playground and you ran down to feel air resistance. Those are the moments that the child will remember and that person will remember, not maybe those little things that you might actually get wrong, but really in the grand scheme of things, it's really minimal. So that's what I always say. It's better to have had a go and tried it than to not. Mm. I think that's really important. And I think um, I always talk about my experience in education was my first real memory of education was I think I was three or four years old and they walked us to the local library for Halloween and we sat down and they were all tiny I remember being tiny and um, the librarian came in dressed as a witch and I remember that absolutely being terrified because I thought she was a real witch at that moment and I knew who she was but I was terrified and I remember being so believed in that moment um, and so what I say to teachers now is like create that moment and that experience because you know school is a long mm. process and we can just repeat repeat or we can <laughs> moments where you go oh I remember that lesson because you did that and even if it's something simple like changing where you stand in the room if you're going to be teaching from the back of the room or you've changed something the 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 great thing about that is that if you provided that it that moment your conversation whatever you're doing in that time in that lesson will carry on outside of your classroom you know I don't mm. when I'm in a science room a lab I want that science to carry on talking beyond my lab door I want children to leave with more questions than what they came in with that is the key thing um you know if, yes. if we've if I've answered everything if I've done everything well that's not the key thing I want to say kids go oh 
I want to know more about this or I'm going to ask my dad about this. I'm going to go back. And that kitchen table conversation, that dinner table conversation is so important, just so vital. Mm. And I think if we look at what's happened in the world in the last few years, even more so, <laughs> that kind of scientific literacy, yeah. STEM conversations, so important to go beyond the classroom walls. It really is. It, it's it's such a key part of our lives now that we really need to, mm-hmm. you know, make it more part of our lives in meaningful ways so that we can actually understand how it impacts us and, you know, what it actually is to us on a day-to-day basis. And it's, yeah, all that inquiry is what really drives all of that interest and that understanding. What I've noticed over the years is, you know, that it's getting children to be present in that moment. You know, when you're, you've got something like a project that you absolutely love and you're passionate about, how do we capture that? You know, I often say to people, what, especially with science teaching, is that, that that experiment won't be finished in a lesson. It won't be completed in that lesson, really. Um, and what mm. tends to happen in kind of in school science is, you know, you've got to get through the topics. I'm going to complete this. Um, and we don't fall in love with the process of the science and the learning. We fall, we're kind of just hitting trying to get to the end point and sometimes as we know with science and stem that end point never happens or when it does happen it's a failure from what you thought your hypothesis or your predictions were so that kind of love of falling in love with the process is super super important and that's what I try to Mm. say to teachers and to children like this is what the essence is the questioning the changing along the way the going off on a different tangent that's the real exciting part the end result is great but really that um, the journey is the most important part. So um, it is. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, teaching in general, that kind of when you're part of the moment of learning, the experience is so much, so much richer. And I always sort of say to people, you know, imagine you've been given a task and you've been told you've got five minutes and then you cut someone off and say after three minutes, oh, sorry, that's it, done. You actually get angry. You actually get frustrated. And I'm saying to imagine what children feel like if you're saying to them, okay, we're well, done now, move on that feeling of kind of not getting it done is really is you know you feel it yourself so that is something I really aim to try and do is give that time and dedicate that sort of passion to that project along the way yeah absolutely and yeah it's such a great way to approach all of these things because yeah it really is about the process and the journey of getting Mm -hmm. to the knowledge as opposed to just hitting your milestones and making sure you hit these particular targets to say yep I've completed this task and this task and this task, but without being engaged with the process. Yes. Yeah. And I think um, some of those skills now we talk about, you know, these kind of 21st century skills or what we're looking for in the future. And when you're engaged in a process and it's it, you, there's more opportunity to be collaborative, to work with your peers, to learn from one another. And I think the the best learning comes from one another. You know, when you put children together, peer support and peer learning they seem to listen better to each other as well. I think, um, and the, you know, maybe they just you know got sick of my sound of my voice. But I think I see kids together, and especially with multi-age grouping as well. You know, getting year sixes to come down and teach concepts to year ones that is really important as well because that mimics the workplace as well from learning one another. And I think the more we mm. can introduce that, the younger we can in education, the more successful our students will be when they leave and enter the workplace. It is. And it, it's wonderful as well, getting the older students to try and illustrate mm. these concepts to the other kids, because you can also see and they can see, you know, these are the things that helped me to understand. And it 
being able to develop that kind of peer education and that kind of you're teaching them to teach and that's just as important as the learning aspect as well a hundred percent and I you know I learn I think I what I value sometimes is that being that um that eternal learner that person who actually does Mm. enjoy learning Um, and I worry sometimes in certain education you know, when we do that, we actually take away that passion and that love for learning. And we get people to the end point. Oh, I finished my ATAR. Oh, I finished university. I'm done. And it's kind of the most pleasure I get is from learning from one another. So to be able to kind of instill that mm. in students is really important. You know, even the other day, I'm trying to explain something and I had a, one of my colleagues explain it beautifully. And I remember just thinking, oh, I'm going to try and learn how he did that because I found that really helpful. And that person clearly found it more helpful than my explanation. But just seeing how others do things is really important. You know, and I know that sometimes I am all over the place. I'm, oh, I've got all these ideas. And seeing how somebody breaks something down to smaller steps is really important because sometimes mm. we just go a bit, oh, 100 miles an hour, and then we assume knowledge as well, which is really yeah. dangerous. So being able to break things down and talk with someone who's learning about that journey and that communication, that relationship, as we spoke about before, that's the key part if we want to see success at the end, I think. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's really so important because all throughout life when we're doing anything, there's a lot of the time there's a lot of miscommunication because of assumed knowledge or, you know, you're, you're passionate but you barrel ahead and you're skipping steps and you lose people along the way because, you know, they see that you're passionate, but they're just not quite catching onto the notes that you're trying to convey to them because you haven't learned to slow down and you haven't learned to, you know, express yourself with people with all sorts of backgrounds and with all sorts of um, levels of understanding and experience. And yeah, so having that opportunity to learn and learn from each other is such a great way of being able to, you know, get better communication going for that. And you're, you're completely right. I think there is this drive for getting to the end point and rushing and really, you know, the sort of celebrating the success of people who can do everything and do it really quickly mm. and do it really efficiently. And we stop and forget that that impact, especially on our, on our, our mental health and our families is quite important. So, you know, I find that, you know, then ironic that we have to teach the mindfulness to students because there they were in their primary years especially in the very early childhood years where they're doing this play-based learning and they're just engrossed in the moment and they're in it and then we're having to teach later on how to be in that moment and how to be present and how to slow that speed down it's kind Mm. of those kind of we're pulling at two ends of that spectrum and having that right balance is something that you know I think a lot of work needs to be done in that space yeah yeah it's because education is such a young field comparatively to you know some of the other things that we're actually teaching it's fascinating to see how that is evolving and that is developing over time because we're getting a better understanding that people have different modes of learning that suit them better and we're learning more about the fact that you know play-based learning and experience-based learning is so important and we go we we need to make sure the younger children have that in early education we need to have that and then we cut them off once they hit structured school (laughs) and they have to start doing it the conventional way and it's like but you've just taught us to do it one way and now Mm -hmm. we're having to do it another way yeah and And they're not necessarily compatible And that's the danger we have with education in thinking that one one size fits all. And sometimes, you know, oh, we found we found, you know, the real the holy grail of getting this outcome. 
um, because you yeah. actually then really take away that's looking at it at kind of a really umbrella term if I want to get a school through a system as opposed to the individuals. Um, and it was interesting, mm. actually, we were having this online discussion recently with some colleagues, um, a f- colleague from mine over here in, um, who is in Australia, has gone over to Dubai, and he had um, he'd shared some of his excellent work on being of teaching early child, and he's a secondary teacher, and how in his new role he's teaching across the spectrum. Um, but the discussion really looked at how, le- um, how we can learn from one another in a teaching space because when you look at children from zero up to 18, it's not just about, you know, what they have to learn. It's how they've actually developed. We know that, you know, we know the kind of the, the science behind it. All those mm. different processes they're going through, hormonal changes, just general childhood development. And so for us as educators to go and work in those different spaces, it gives us a real appreciation of what's going on through those stages. Uh, it's mm. always easy to go, oh, but that happened in that in the early years. Oh, that will leave that to the secondary. But actually working together and, you know, for us to get a perspective as a primary school teacher, what do the high school teachers need? And the, and the high school teachers coming down and say, oh, that's what's going on there. I think that cohesiveness will work really well if we just kind of make sure we adopt that whole process and look at that whole journey from the zero Mm. all the way up through um, and treat that as a whole rather than the compartmentalized areas. Yeah. And it's, it really is about getting a holistic view of education Mm. and educational kind of development and the way that we do kind of evolve as we grow further learning because yeah, as you said, compartmentalizing it, you you end up losing context between mm. each compartment, and yeah. you know how you get to this stage of education or how they are heading into this other level of education, and yeah, it really is so important to think about these things, but then you start opening all these doors to complexity and you know having yes. to create these systems that are one size fit all but tailored yeah. at the same time like it, it's such an impossible task <laughs> yeah and I th- yeah and I think that is something that um I would, as an individual as a teacher that is where that kind of you know that real has to be that it's yours it's at the student level what's best for that student going through because yes that system is always going to be an overarching one and you know and I think we we do well in the sense that learning from one another and not really, um, and that saying that as a country as well, going to other countries and seeing how things work and how um, taking into consideration different cultures, different environments, that's really important. But also at your at a teacher level, when you're in that classroom, the most important thing is to know your students, and that is it. And so knowing that each student has a different learning journey, um, identifying that, you know, saying giving those parents that feedback that they'll, they'll be all on different journeys and what might be happening now could be happening in a few years' time. Um, it's always interesting to think, and it's hard when you're actually in the classroom doing this, but saying to student teachers as well that what you do in the classroom today might not have an impact until two or three years down the line. Mm. You know, it's very, it's, and I think what happens is it's hard as a teacher when you're getting results and say you're doing a NAPLAN result and you're in a year three or a year five classroom taking that as a personal thing oh they haven't done as well but it's actually it's a collaborative process as a team that we work together that we have that impact later on that child might not develop that skill right now in your classroom but they remember your teaching and that they apply it three years down the line 
Mm. That is the key thing to message for because it's not an instantaneous thing. Education isn't straight away. You don't get that instant feedback often. It is a process and a journey. Absolutely. And it's a process as much for the student as it is for the teacher. And, you know, having to adjust those systems as well to account for that fact because teachers will also have key performance indicators and all these lovely you know corporate and systemic things that they need to hit for to be able to get their marks for Mm. their position and whatever it is that they're trying to achieve and it is trying to understand that you need to be able to assess things in a different way that's not it's still you know qualitative value that you can measure but it's not just hitting marks for them as well hitting milestones and hitting particular tick boxes and yeah yeah, that balance is also very challenging to to manage and I think you know I'm such a proud member of my profession I you know I think teachers are such incredible um individuals and I think the you know majority of all our teachers do an incredible job because their passion and their drive is for their students that is a Mm. real thing and Yes, a lot of the paperwork, all of those kind of milestones, the KPIs, as you're referring to, they do have an impact on being able to do the job. And I think um, really trusting the teachers are doing a great thing. You know, you can go into a school and if you meet an admin team and they trust and they respect their staff and they give them that kind of the ability to be who they are and to really drive their learning and drive their teaching, the atmosphere within that school environment is just beautiful and harmonious. Mm. And that comes from trust and from believing in your staff. Um, and I think that's a lovely thing because teachers do an amazing job, but, you know, it's an all-encompassing job. And I think as you refer to that holistic approach, you are not just teaching content. You are to some little mm. child the most important person at that time. Um, and I, you know, I also sometimes said to parents when they're saying, I said, you know, I've got you, I'm lucky, I get your child for eight hours of a day. I want those to be some of the best eight hours. You know, I'm so lucky that I have that opportunity to spend so much time. For a lot of the time, I'm spending more time with your child than you are because, you know, of work commitments or getting them to bed. So I, you know, I really value that. And I'd never, Mm. ever take that for granted that I have, I've got that wonderful opportunity to build relationships with such gorgeous people and know Mm. that that is a really important part of their day. So, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty awesome job. <laughs> and that's, it's really beautiful because so many teachers do feel the same way. And mm. it's, you know, it's such a rewarding way to be able to spend a career because you're being able to see these people yeah. grow and learn and come into their own and, you know, have the eyes light up because of what they're learning about the world. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's beautiful. It's such an amazing yes. experience. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and coming back to your journey so Mm. going into education how did you find your way to a focus in STEM oh my goodness yeah that was a interesting one (laughs) so I think um (laughs) my goodness my my family as I said were uh, in the STEM fields my sister um a a few years younger than me is you know um she's a veterinary dermatologist so all in that kind of field and I was I am adamant that I was not going to do science or anything to do with science um I think I hated the fact that I was in top set maths I hated the fact that I was asked to do science so I was determined I was going to be on the stage and I was going to do acting and I remember just really just that was you know the kind of the headstrong view 
Um, and then I decided maybe not. So I'd go, you know, definitely, it was definitely teaching and acting. So I was going to go to teaching, but I was not going to be, I was going to be an English teacher at this point. Um, and then I got to university and I ended up bizarrely going through my honours programme at university, going into more linguistics. And I don't know why, because I think the issue, I think what I suddenly dawned on me when I was doing the linguistics part of it was I'd be given a piece of language and you had to, you had to, you know, decode it and find all those key parts of speech. And I've actually loved the process of the decoding part, the finding mm. the errors, looking at things and analysing. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably where I finally agreed that maybe science, IT, all those kind of elements in the STEM spaces were actually where my strengths lay. Um, yeah. So I went to that. Um, and I actually, when I first graduated, um, I ended up... Um, well, not ended up, I you know, was very lucky to get my first position um, at a, quite an um, elite prestigious school, a private school in England, um, and it was in Oxford. It was a beautiful school called The Dragon, a um, fantastic place to work. Um, but really, how lucky I was for my first job, because being in that environment, I was given that flexibility to really hone my teaching skills you know in those sort of environments I think it's quite lucky because you have um, the financial security in a school you know you really are there you have a really good governance there's not issues with staffing per se because you've got you know got plenty of staff on board so you're not trying to cover other people's lessons all the time um, and you've got you know you're not dealing with so much of the behavior issues or any kind of really extreme traumas you're sort of really in a nice environment where you can learn to grow as a teacher in that teaching space. So my pedagogical approach and my pedagogy was really embedded well because I had that time and that flexibility. And I was also very lucky because in a school like that, um, I think you get to be creative within your craft and be able to define who you are as a teacher. So that was a really wonderful place. And I was also lucky that my colleagues were kind of similar personalities. We're all quite ambitious. We were all kind of competitive and you learn from one another in that environment. So I was incredibly lucky to fall into that position where um, I could become a teacher that I wanted to be and the teacher I wanted to create for myself. That was what I was really mm to be in um I think probably I was still trying to um pull myself back from STEM I still did one of these do with STEM and I was doing dance and I was doing everything else um and then as I moved I, I moved jobs moved back home for a little bit and a job came up to be science teacher and I said oh I'll, I'll take it for a bit and then that literally <laughs> just took me on a trajectory and I was like oh actually this is quite good fun <laughs> those moments going oh and also what I think I loved about science and STEM was that um, you've got a captive audience. Mm. At primary school level, every child wants to do science and STEM. I've, I've very rarely found a child who doesn't. That's just, oh, yeah, do we get to do blow up stuff? Do we get to make <laughs> It's the best job in the world. Like, you know, I've already got them. I don't even have to work hard. I've got them at the door, desperate to get in the door because it's hands on and they get that release. Yeah, yeah I get to do stuff and play and do all this. So, yeah, I was so lucky in that sense. My journey into that was very good. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And it's wonderful because, yeah, at that age, it's mysterious and it's fun. Mm. It's how does it work and why did it do that? And, hey, this explodes. This is very cool. And it, oh. it's that flashy kind of side of science and STEM that really engages at a young age because it's magic. It, oh. It's the stuff that they don't – it's the science that we haven't figured out yet for them. Because, exactly. yeah, it, it's, it's cool. 
And it's and I think if you think when you you know we all think back to our kind of um, early years, the magic and the mystery of something you know the kind of phenomenon of the Harry Potter time and all those kind of previous things. Um, what I like to link to in my own science teaching now is being able to have science explain some of these curiosities in the world, um, and that's the journey you have to take yourself. You know, you often get especially in the early years, teaching children who will be absolute experts in a specific scientific topic. Um, space is a big one. You know, children get absolutely blown away by space and they will know every planet. And I will have to hand, put my hands up and say, you know what? I just don't know. I just don't know enough about this. Or dinosaurs, dinosaurs, oh my goodness me. Um, dinosaurs <laughs> are a huge for little children and the words they can come out with and what they know. Um, and I think as a science teacher, the most important thing is to acknowledge that to a child, to say to a child, I'm learning from you is a really powerful statement. To say to a child, you know what, I don't know about that, but I really want to know about that. Can you teach me? And you're putting mm. a real powerful lens on that because a child then has the confidence, but also knows that they have that power to teach others and to share their expertise with others. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing about science that can happen all the time and being able to share that and bring people in and get others on that journey. Incredible, incredibly powerful. It is really incredible. And yeah, just being able to see them so passionate, like it's, it's lovely to see people who are passionate about things. So when, you know, can, when kids get completely full bottle on a topic and they just start rattling it off. It's like, this is really educational. I love that this is wonderful. And they love that you think it's great. Yes. And it, it just, it's just constant cycle of, yeah, it encourages them to go, I, I should learn more because then I yes. can get more of this very cool response because I can keep sharing. And oh. yeah, it, it's part of that journey. <laughs> very much so. And, you know, I always make a, um, reflection what was very powerful for me was that um, many years ago I was working up in Pilbara um, at a school and we have a big STEM day where the whole day the whole school is just engaged in STEM on a specific topic and we were looking at earth sciences and it was the topic of um, you know the space and so we went full on out there and we had you know an um, astrophysicist come up to visit us we were doing all these incredible projects but what was wonderful was a parent actually worked at Woodside and said, oh, you know, we've got like a kind of a sister program going with NASA. And I was lucky I went over to NASA, he said, and I and he came in to a little talk. And then he said, I know it sounds silly, but he said, but actually I've got um, two of the colleagues from NASA are going to be over here in Australia at that time. And could they come and meet? And they're going to come up. And I, it was just it was just perfect time. The stars That's aligned wonderful. genuinely in that pun um and two of them two of these uh staff from nasa came and the first thing was one of the, the the young gentleman walked into the science lab and there was a book on the wall on the book and he said oh that's interesting because that robot it was a Dorling kingsey book oh i was on the design process team for that one for that robot that went to mars and you know you're kind of just like what it was like you know so, you know it's a bit like <laughs> rock star status the kids were blown away um, but what was more important was his wife, we had the big conversation at the end, and she said to me, she said to all the children, she said, when I was in um, kindergarten, well, she said, when I was five, I told my teacher I was going to work at NASA. And we're all like laughing. She said, so when I got my job at NASA, the first person I rang was my mum. And she said, the second person I rang was my first grade teacher. And I think for us educators in the room, it was a bit of a pin drop. Because yeah. it was a bit like, wow, we 
at the age of five, you might know where you want to be. And that year one teacher had clearly believed in her that she would do that. And I Mm. think that's always what sticks in my mind always, that your belief in a child, especially in that science base, if if they're going to be an astronaut, my goodness me, I'm going to make sure I can do everything I can to tell them that they're going to be the astronaut because that might be all it takes. So, yeah, that's a really powerful thing for me. It really is very powerful because, yeah, you don't know what anyone is going to achieve at any Mm. age. So why hold them back? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Definitely. (laughs) I think that's what those moments in teaching when, you know, it can get tough and it can get hard. And and I think especially for students as well, um, Mm. you know, there are so many obstacles in the way. And I think for myself, having come along this journey in education 20 years on, where I started, you know, in those beautiful, the, the towering spires of Oxford, you know, and where Oxford University is, and it's a beautiful environment, and it's very academic and focused, and you've got that kind of, you can see that pathway to sometimes, you know, to things I've done the last latter few years of my career, where I'm going to regional and really remote areas where, you know, that isn't even on the horizon, you know, that's mm. not even a visual for those students. Um, to go to university, in itself is a huge thing and the barriers in their way stopping them even just the, just geographically how do I get from mm. this remote area into a city to do that you know and I think luckily education is catching up so that there is more opportunities for children in regional remote areas but it is interesting having done travel across the world and also being in different environments seeing some children just don't have those opportunities. And so yeah. you as a teacher have to be that person who is providing them with that kind of direction and that kind of that dream, keeping the dream alive. Um, so, yeah, that's it's a really rewarding thing. But it's also it is also heartbreaking at times to see that and kind of know that for some children, it is a really, really long and tough ride. It is. And yeah, I remember we, we spoke about this before. Mm. And, you know, for me, it really stuck with me because it, it's really so true about privilege, because you were talking mm. about how these students, they walk out of the dragon, mm. they can actually see mm. Oxford yes. in front of them. Yes. And, you know, they, you can, vi- they visually have this objective that they know that yeah. they can, you know, it is literally within reach. <laughs> it's yes. at their doorstep. And just having that by itself alone it's Mm. it's so powerful and it might not be something that you are consciously aware of Mm. but you can see it to go yeah it's right there that's yes absolutely going to be the path there's no other choice this is just how it's going to go and you take that for granted in yes you know that kind of level of privilege and you're surrounded by individuals who probably have been there themselves or have been in that Mm. pathway who have got that foot in those doors and then you know you do go to you know especially up here in western australia where remote areas and you know that some of those children don't even have a high school they you know they're going in and doing remote education and that's the things so i think um you know i'm lucky in the position that i'm in now and in the, in the role that i do that bringing children down from your areas to meet at universities to see what's going on and to show them some of those pathways but also um, you know, I think we've spoke about it before that kind of connection to partnerships into industries, into local things mm. to see that, because as you're saying, if you can't see it, it's a really yeah. difficult concept. It's an abstract concept for them to understand. So um, I think for me, 
Um, I worked, there's a fabulous, you know, I think of her as my mentor. She's the most fabulous woman in STEM. She actually is the chair of the Women in STEM of Australia. Um, Sarah Chapman up in Queensland. And I remember going Mm -hmm. to her um, conference once and listening to her. And it was so powerful because she talked about, especially for young girls and especially for women in STEM, that journey of that mentor is really important. Um, But also Mm -hmm. connecting to your industry, to your partner and seeing what that journey is going to be like and having that connection. Yeah. of that pathway that's that's when you can see the success so I remember always now mm. thinking to myself if I can bring those experiences to children if you want to be a doctor this is the experience if you want to be an engineer this is the experience if you want to be a NASA astronaut this is the experience just that will help take over some of those barriers along the way and yeah it's really just having something more concrete because if you don't have that exposure, everything is just in the abstract. It's kind of yep. nebulous in the future. And, you know, you can sort of see it is possible, but is it yep. possible for me? And, yep. you know, living in Australia is so remote. I remember <laughs> growing up and, you know, even talking with other kids, it'd be like, yeah, I would, you know, I would love to work at Disney, but there's no <laughs> Disney here. Yep. That's impossible. Yeah. You know, I'd love to work at NASA. If we don't have a proper space program, how are we going to achieve that? And it's yep. so vague and you just go, well, I can't see a path. I don't see yeah. how this is a viable route for me. So yeah, yeah, being able to connect with these partners and these, you know, other people who have done this, who have walked mm. this path, who have taken this journey, and be able to say, hey, this is the route they took. This yes. is one of the ways that we can achieve this particular goal. And yeah, it really gives you something more concrete to hold on to in terms yeah. of goal setting and, you know, knowing what's possible for you. Oh. Completely. And I think as well, what we're lucky in the sense that we're becoming more connected to the world out there, Mm. knowing what's out there. Um, Some wonderful work is going on in Australia, especially in that kind of ice, I think the ice stem sort of space. You know, I've got some colleagues, Wendy Bode up in in Queensland and Scott Sleep out in New South Wales, who they're doing virtual STEM academies now. So children all over the country can come together to learn particular things that they're passionate about. And we connect as in Australia, but then how do we connect beyond that? You know, where are we going? Mm. How do we connect with our colleagues out in the UK, into, into America, into China, so that children have got that understanding of where we sit within a bigger sphere and yes. the opportunities that could be available? You know, exactly that, you know. And I think as well, brilliant thing with now going, the outsourcing of being able to work remotely mm-hmm. has brought that to us you know we can do a role you know we can work for a facebook or a google but it's in san francisco but there is work to be done elsewhere and that time zone difference that is now a bit more of a reality um Mm. and i think for a lot of students i don't know i feel quite passionate as well is that they see that a lot of the time through gaming through platforming and to see that you know they're connecting with others in that sphere and i know there's so much negativity towards that often in the gaming space or what are children learning but for a lot of those children they're connecting with like-minded individuals on a bigger scale and we're bringing people mm. together and if it's in a you know in many ways um you know children get so much benefit from that connection um in that kind of online sphere and i think that's what we have to look to as education is look at the benefits of it and how could we capitalize on that to create experiences for children that are relatable to them as well exactly and yeah, even like in the 90s when, you know, I was online and I had friends in the UK and the US and the interstate, it was, for me, the internet really 
reduce those barriers because it's like, yeah, I can have regular communications with these people in other countries and it's not really an issue with time or distance. And then you start entering the workforce and at the time still very conservative. And it's like, Mm. oh, no, everything's local. If it's not, you know, where you live, that's it. Yes, there's no really, there's no option for you. And, you know, I've been working remote since 2008. And for me, because my skill set is portable as a dev, it makes things a little bit easier. Yeah. And you, you, you learn that there really isn't a boundary. Time makes things a little bit tricky to manage mm. for work days. But in terms of communication and access and, you know, connections and networks and being able to, you know, bridge other communities and geographically, you know, other countries, it's not really that big of a deal. Yes. And it's been wonderful seeing people kind of come on board with this in the last mm. few years as well, because you're getting programs which are more accessible than they didn't used to be. There are, you know, one of the things I love doing is signing up for the Bletchley Park seminars in the UK and listening <gasps> to them because like I yeah. have no opportunity any other time to do this. Yeah. So yeah, being able to learn from these people elsewhere mm. doing things that they love and that they specialize in. It really opens so many more doors and, Mm. you know, being able to make the kids have that access as well, whether, you know, they're in regional areas or urban, like it's so important because they get to see all this really cool stuff out there that they could also be doing. Oh my goodness. And I think we have so much to learn from others in terms of the culture, understanding landscapes. That's what, you know, I just thinking before I had a... I'm working as a, our organization is working with a fantastic inquiry educator in Canada, um, a guy called Trevor McKenzie, mm. who's just fabulous. But what was interesting, we were on this big Zoom call with my staff and they were looking at, and, and one of the students came in and the teacher said, she's just desperate to meet someone with a Canadian accent. She's never heard, so, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we're sort of going, oh, okay. But I think for a child's often they see things on the television, but to connect to somebody because where they live, they probably haven't had many, you know, local tourists or people can, and she was just, she just loved it. She wanted to just hear him speak and talk and interact yeah. and have that conversation. Um, and I, and I, that brought a real big smile to my face as well, because that we could connect across boundaries. We can connect across countries and have so many friends in that lovely landscape that it is. And even just those mm. silly little conversations of what's the weather like, Let's, you know, just, it's just so beautiful. And I remember used doing it with children with um, connecting when you do the weather landscape, or especially in science. And yeah. It's using a very simple, it was an app that you could download on your phone called Google Science Journal, which is now Arduino Science Journal, a great app. Mm-hmm. But children could connect, could collect through the sensors on the phone different things about their environment. So it was things like what's the temperature or kind of what's the light intensity and just take some photographs and store it in like a journal and share it. But what was lovely was I did that as a project and a lot of the children up in the Pilbara, but they were connecting to family members in Finland, in Sweden, in Canada, in America, in China, and being able to just share that with other people in the classroom at that right moment in time, we were both online, we were both doing this, this is the two different images was such a rich lesson and it was a simple lesson that we could connect to Mm. so those are things I think giving children more of those opportunities to do that is going to be key to success for them especially in the future mark you know as we're talking about you know what's the future going to look like for a lot of our students and when they're coming out and it will be more of a connected world you know as you're saying the real difference is that is maybe time barrier but even then 
um, we seem to work around the clock now. So I think um, the future is going to be very much <laughs> in that space. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, you, you mentioned like inquiry-based learning. So, mm. you know, can you elaborate more on, you know, yeah. inquiry-based learning and how that differs to, you know, what we might have grown up with? Yeah, I think so. Inquiry learning, um, especially in the context of how we've been looking at it through, you know, uh, the work I've been doing with my organisation and working with someone like Trevor out in the in the um, Canada, is inquiry learning is based on the curiosities, the wonders of the children. Like, where do they want to take their learning? And it's giving children student agency, student voice, so that, for example, a big thing that Trevor works on is the idea of having a prompt or kind of um something that will spark the interest of a child so giving them something that you know could be a video it could be an image it could be an experience but where do they then take their learning what do they want to know more about you know what do you see what do you think what am i wondering about Mm. um now in many cases this is quite difficult for teachers because we're going ah but i've got to teach this and this child's now decided they want to go and do that and you're going ah (laughs) and that becomes it's very much the craft you know an app of the teacher that you Mm. kind of know the end point you're steering kids to but you're giving them the opportunity to take hold of the reins and get to that end point that's the kind of the real key part of the inquiry learning process but it really is an immersive experience that child takes the curiosity the learning and runs with it you know and how they present it you know do you want to present it to me as a speech do you want to present it to me as a written as an article do you want to make a journal do you want to make a stop motion animation whatever you want to do I think that is the part where we introduce that creativity. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of debate in our field, especially with the STEM versus the STEAM and the, you know all the different acronyms. But you cannot take creativity out of it because that is a no. key component of learning. And it is very important. And I think what happened with probably the acronym that we look at, STEAM and STEM, is that sometimes that becomes a bit of a, um, a barrier to what actually the, the real thinking behind that is. Mm. And you know this creativity of learning being able to take whatever topic you're learning, but take it in your direction and run with it is something really important. So that's what we've wanted to do as an inquiry. Um, when you look at the curriculum, what's really interesting is that inquiry is embedded, that's actually got to be assessed in the science curriculum and the HAS curriculum. And it really is a process of questioning, mm. you know, looking at something, questioning it, finding more information out, going back, questioning a bit more, going back, and it's a process, that inquiry process mm. skills. So what we've done this year, especially in the organisation I'm working at, the Polypharma Foundation, is getting um, topics that we're looking at, but asking the children where they'd like to, what they'd like to learn about, going with them and saying, okay, well, we'll support you in that. We'll give you opportunities to learn about it. But really, what would you like? We're putting the ownership on you. What do you want to learn about? We'll come and help you. And that's been yeah. a real luxury. And what we're seeing is some of the most beautiful work coming out. And children who just are shining because they've got a bit of that flexibility and they've got a little bit of ownership. Um, and the pride yeah. that comes with owning your work is massive, really good. It's just, yeah. And you're you know, you're, you're assessing yourself against your own standards as well. You know, and as, as teachers supporting you on that, it's not so much of a comparison against one another's work, which is really important. Mm, it is. And, you know, being able to give them the opportunity to explore what it is that means something to them as well is really important because it helps you maintain that level of passion for the topic yes. and you know it's giving them context for what they're actually learning on the way because you know you can give them math you can give them science but if they don't understand mm. how it fits 
in their worldview, how it fits in their expanding worldview, then it makes it really hard for them to kind of latch on and run with it. So yeah, giving them that opportunity to choose is so great. Yes. And I think the space that we're in, so the Polypharma Foundation works with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, and it's sort of an academic program for students. Um, And what's been really interesting, you know, for those children as well to come in with their experience, the knowledge of their culture and and a lot of the kind of their understanding of science and kind of the hands-on approach to science and learning and STEM, Mm. that's been really important to us, you know, because... um, what we're finding is those those students are incredibly creative, but also their level and depth of knowledge has come from thousands and thousands of years of understanding in science. Mm. And I know CSIRO used to have, you know, indigenous scientists as the first scientists, and they are the first scientists on it because they have studied and studied for thousands of years. And if we look yeah. at the process of science itself, it's a long process of studying, changing mm. and studying and moving forward and changing ideas. You know, if we even look at ourselves, I think I remember, you know, Pluto was definitely a planet when I was young. And it was in the book. Yeah. And you find books now. And recategorizes and things have changed. But it's that kind of mm. open-mindedness you have to have as a in the person in the STEM fields to say, it's just because it's been done this way before, but is there a different way of doing it? And how am I going to learn on that journey? And how do I think outside of this box? How do I look at problems and go, oh, it could be done better. It could be done differently. And how do I learn from each other and looking at how someone does it? How can I take elements of that and change that? And that is, I think, the key component of what inquiry learning is all about. Mm, It is. And it's, you know, it kind of brings it back to, I spoke to another guest about Indigenous AI and it's applying Mm -hmm. the context of Indigenous, Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous learning to the future science. And having that context so that wherever we go on that journey, we have that past context with us and it helps to shape where we're headed. And that's all about the inquiry-based learning and with the programs that you're running because they get to apply this cultural and Indigenous history and background and knowledge and the context of where they came from to the science of now and how, you know, that can work together. And, yeah, it's really beautiful. (laughs) And I think... It really is. And I think what's lovely is when you're working in that space with those students, um, I've learned so much more with them about so many different things. And also it gives what or it gives my knowledge a real richness because I can put it in context. And I have a lovely story about a little boy who t- talked to me about being able to spot a kangaroo, if a kangaroo has a baby in its pouch. Um, you see, when you go out hunting and he said, because of the angle sometimes at which the kangaroo is hopping. And I remember mm. thinking, wow, he, under- he, will, he will smash pivots and levers and everything later in life because of that <laughs> understanding, which he's learned from, an, you know, from being out there with his family. And, his, and I thought that was, for me now, when I ever think of levers, <laughs> I do think of that. And I think of that weight and the fault. And I think of that completely. And that's what I've learned along the way. And I think having an open mind and learning from others, you know, as we talk, so many decisions can be made without context without history without understanding prior knowledge that's you know as we talked about before that kind of prior knowledge is really important if we want to move forward with where we're going I think it's a future especially in that science field Um, yeah it is but you know simple things and I know we talk a lot in education about these 21st century skills or you know the global competencies and looking at that um, and problem solving and it's really interesting a problem solving approach because um, problem solving Mm. is often quite difficult for a lot of people you can have an idea but 
problem solving is this thing that we keep saying, oh, we want our, we want staff to be good problem solvers, critical thinkers. It's actually quite difficult unless you give children the opportunities to come against problems. And I think yeah. for a long time, we have sheltered in education, you know, the idea of actually having those problems because we sort of don't allow children to fail. It's like, well, I'll tell you the answer. And you're going, well, actually, you need to find the answer by problem solving, finding things out, getting it wrong the first time. Um, and that is a key thing to settle with. And none of us find that easy. No one likes to do something wrong or fail at something. But it's learning how to get through that failure to get to the end is really important. It is. And, yeah, failure comes up a lot when I'm talking with my guests because it's such an important part of the process and mm. it's still part of the science. Like you still learned how it was not meant to be done. You still learned that this isn't the correct approach. And, yeah. you know, the negative data is still just as important as the stuff that confirms your hypothesis. Like it, it's, oh. it's about getting over our ego and, I, and you know, being a bit more <laughs> humble about the fact that we are going to get it wrong on the way yes. and we're going to figure out other stuff while we're at it. <laughs> yes. And, you know, how many of us, you know, it's, and it's also that, as you're saying, the acknowledgement that you've got it wrong. That is a big, big yeah. thing. You know, we all know that as children. When you're working with little children, they don't want to say they're wrong. Um, no. no, I'm right, I'm right. And, you, and it's that kind of, and even now in the workplace, we know that. How often have you been yeah. with colleagues who just, you can't, and you're kind of, ah. Oh. And it's hard, but it's something that's really, really important. Mm. Um, and, I, and it only comes from exposure to it. And I worry sometimes with, sometimes when you're giving, I suppose that when you're delivering content to children, it's just giving them the answers or it's giving them the, it's giving them the context. The not, this is the knowledge. This is what it is. Full stop. You just need to know it. That's a little bit dangerous because we actually need to find that kind of the process of getting something wrong in order to find that end point. So yeah, I, I think giving children that sense of being able to fail um, or and even not even failure. It's a sense that, you know, I'm, I'm building something. It's not worked out well or it is working but how do I make it better you know and it's yeah. that questioning and you know I, I was lucky enough I got to go to a school the other day and look at their designs for cars they'd be working with Young Engineers Australia and it was fantastic because when you actually got talking to the students oh my goodness when you sort of say to them oh what do you think about this little part here oh wow because they were invested in that project they could tell you how they're going to make it better okay oh well I could do that yeah and then yeah. also how grateful they were for you to say oh do you think about a big tire would work there or do you think if you change that to be a little bit further down the axle oh yeah that would be a brilliant idea but it's really it's giving yourself as a teacher and educator that time to work on a project and give it it's just desserts really I think that's really important for me and you know mm. it's hard because we're plowing through a curriculum but those moments are really important just to slow down take time conversation learn from each other and then really have that high expectation it's all about having yourself high expectation as a teacher and also having high expectation as, a, as your student yourself your own self putting putting that in um so yeah yeah it yeah, so much in that. It's really yeah, just giving them all those opportunities and you know, opening doors to extra points of inquiry. And it, mm. it, it is hard because you're having to constantly craft narrative almost. Like it's, yes. this is the story. So how, yes. how can we add a plot twist? How can we 
you know, change direction on this particular thing. And and you're constantly having to do that on the fly. <laughs> yes. And it's, and, and it's very much, it's an emotive process. It's, it's actually, it's really important to connect to the emotion, um, mm. how it's making you feel. And I know there's lots of things about reflection and it's, it's really embedded a lot into, um, you know, real things, theories of thought with education is getting children to reflect on a process. But even then that's difficult in itself. That has to be guided process, you know, Mm. what is that connection how does that make you feel when you've got it right how does it make you feel when you got that success because that connection to an emotion then is stays in the memory for longer so when you do come across it later on in another project or another way down the line that's often what drives you to continue and I think as a teacher Mm. it is up to us to create those moments and to you know to guide students through that you know there is frustration there is anger there is a real sense of oh and as a teacher, being able to support that and push the, mm. and, you know, sometimes to push the buttons to get something where you want it to be and know that in the context of your students is really important. And again, coming back to for always relationships first, building that relationship mm. with your student, because then the results will happen. Everything will happen if that relationship with that student is there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably one of the harder parts too, is building <laughs> that relationship. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> Just helping to guide them along that journey. Because even, like as, as we were saying, that the kids don't want to be wrong. And even with my daughter, she likes to retcon things a lot because something will happen mm. and she goes, oh, yeah, I totally knew that was going to happen. Oh, I already <laughs> had that information. It's like, no, you didn't. You, you, it's okay to not have had that information. You don't need to pretend that you had it. It's yeah. all right. And oh. it, it's difficult. It's such a challenge. <laughs> It is, it is. And I, you know, and it's easy, as you say, I I have this with my, you know, I can do it with other people's children, my own, you know, my own children, you know, high school student now who is 100% convinced that 50% is the only thing you need to get because, well, why would you want to get more? And that kind of, you're going, ah! Um, It's a journey as itself as a parent. And there's probably many parents out there going, oh, exactly. You know, that motivation. And And you've got to hope. And, you know, it's what's really interesting is that my own son, I noticed that those subjects where he has a good relationship with his teacher, he gets those high results and he gets those marks because I know that that means something. And I think that's, the, as I just alluded to before, that kind of um, that high expectations. And it's not a it's a really good thing to instill, I think, in someone to say, you know, put, you know, aim for those, you know, aim for that high part, you know, aim up there and know that it's going to be mm. hard to get there, but aim there. Whereas if we're just saying that's yeah. actually okay, okay. And if we say, oh, the, and as we talked before, oh, the job's finished, done. Well, actually the mm. job could be on, it could be better and we could aim that. And I think that high expectation of yourself and of your students is really important. It is. And also giving them that idea that if you aim high and you don't quite achieve it, that's also okay. And yes. on the way you might find a different path yes. and a change in direction. And that's, where the fun stuff is like you you don't oh. always have to you know have that straight line route and mm-hmm. yeah it, it's often difficult for them to see that because they're going yeah a to b but you know you can yes. go a via c d and e <laughs> <laughs> oh yes and it's yeah. so much more fun exactly I, I oh couldn't say it better you know that's just one of those things that way I thought I'd start you know, oh my goodness I want to be a head teacher and I want to be a principal and my goodness me, the journey that I've been on different ways has just been the best ever, you know, and you have the, so much fun. So I think, yeah, um, yeah it's a changing in, and also um, not being afraid as a person to change a career choice or to make that change or to, and I think um, 
I say that often to when to student teachers as well, of being mindful of when you're teaching children that as well, that many don't have that mm. specific endpoint in mind. And that's okay as well, because if you look at ourselves now, how many jobs we will have done along the way. And that's the beauty of being creative, that we can go, oh, well, actually, I'm going to change and do something else and retrain or do something different. And um, I think it's good to learn from that and take and take heart that you're not quitting at something. You're just pursuing another passion and interest that you have in your life. And I think that's yeah. really important. Exactly. And the decisions that you make are only based on what information you have at the time. And once you get more information, yeah. that's yeah. where the decisions come in because you didn't know this was a path before and now it is and you have the yes. information for it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, and it's very much if you look at for young people, um, a lot of the big things which have been consistently over time is wanting to be professional sportsmen, um, you know, and they're really mm. big things and you know that's a really tricky one, you know, and especially I think in this world, the rise of the YouTuber or the TikTok or the influencer. Um, all of those things that which probably I'd say I'm struggling as a generation to kind of understand how to support that pathway because I'm not really in that space or I don't quite know yeah. how that happens. And I think, um, you know, that old adage of you know not being the sage on the stage anymore, but being the guide by the side, you know, that changing yeah. that role of the teacher. I, I'm not the fountain of all information. I do not have everything at my disposal, but I do know how to support you as a young person and make sure that whatever journey you're on, I can help along the way. And as you're saying, you know, if you don't make it, I'll be there to help support you in something else. That is the key part as an mm. educator along the way. Yeah. Inquiry-based learning on both sides. <laughs> yes, exactly. Very much. <laughs> yes, very much. Definitely. Yeah. yeah very cool. Okay, so having taught, at, you know, mm. very privileged school and having yeah. taught in mm. less privileged schools and, you mm. know, urban you know, regional, all of that. Like you've yeah. had such a diverse range of experiences in this space mm. and, you know, also UK and Australia. Mm. But, you know, what sort of, what are some of the like, key observations that you've made about, you know, this experience and the differences in the environments that really have stuck with you? Oh, wow, yes. Um, I think it was interesting because I remember I always, I do quite often quote this, but I remember leaving university and I was graduating on the day and I graduated and I remember saying to myself, you know, every child in my care will make progress. Whatever happens, I'll make sure they make progress. And if they don't, I'll make sure I fight and fight and fight to find out why that's the case. And I think because that's been in my head that wherever situation I've gone to and wherever I am in a different environment, that is always stuck, that those children will make progress and whatever within the kind of the the limitations you might have or whatever it is that will happen um and so i've always always had that in mind um you know you i think it's all about seeing the person seeing that child as an individual wherever they are and knowing them and whatever understanding the complexities of a child understanding um their passions understanding their goals in life and being able to work alongside them, it, you know, as I said, you're such, such a privilege to be part of someone's life and to know that you've been part of so many people's lives and that, you know, a child who may be where they are, you know, as a neurosurgeon or whatever they're at from where I was, say, at the Dragon and, have you know, gone into, a, you know, maybe what is perceived as a very illustrious career to, you know, the person along the way who's actually become a, an amazing mum, family member and is doing lovely things to support in the community, whatever it can be. To know that I've been part of that journey and been supportive along the way is the most important thing to me. Um, and that 
that child has felt that in my care um, they were believed in and that they were important to me. You know, I often say to, you know, obviously it's a change, you know, you say to children, oh, I'm really proud of you. But I often used to say to children, you know, you make me really proud to be your teacher. Like what you are doing is mm. making me so proud. Um, and so every experience is unique. Every experience is different. But I think as a teacher, having in mind that, um, yeah, that person is such an important part of your life as well. You know, you know, you can say that, you know, I, as I said, every child's going to make progress in my care. But my goodness me, I never in a million years really could get estimate how much progress I'd make. Like how much your yeah. impact yeah. as a child or as a you know a student in my care has impacted who I am as a person in my journey is massive, you know. And I remember every child mm-hmm. and I see them all. And you know, those images of that classroom and those moments, gosh my goodness, my life is so full of amazing memories because of the people I got to share them with and those children and those conversations. Um and that and being able to be let into their lives and their parents' lives and their communities. You know, now I'm so lucky I get to go to some of the most amazing communities and learn so much and be part of something so special that I never ever take for yeah. granted. Yeah. It's just the reason why <laughs> you do it and you keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, and it's so wonderful because yeah, you you know that just as you're helping them grow, you're growing yourself. Yeah. And that's cool. And you just always hope that you are a better person because of those lived experiences. And also the times that maybe you can, as a teacher as well, you can beat yourself up saying, I should have known that, or I should have, maybe I'd missed something or could I have done more? You could, you you know, that I think that's the, bit, the hardest thing as an educator is that you never, ever finish a job because it is mm. ongoing. There is always something else you could do. There is always another thing that you could find out about for this child, for that child, and that child. It is always hard, and it is, it you know, it does keep you up at night often. Um, but I think it's also being really kind to yourself and saying, "Oh my goodness, within my capacity, I've done the best that I can, and my intentions are always so good to be with that person." So I think that's always important for me, and just. You know, if you see a need, try and respond to that and not to, you know, you know t- educators don't do that. But I think that's just something that, um, yeah, it's ongoing and you can, it'll never end. It's just the way the job is, well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just always, you know, continuous progress and continuous improvement and just, you know, just constantly finding ways that you can help others find it, find their way as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and finding those, um, I think it's one of those things is finding somebody's, there's something about that person that makes them different. You know, looking at, mm. at all your children and knowing of child. And I, and I do this because I got caught once, and not caught, but I'm in terms of, but I had a, a gorgeous child who I always remember and probably a daily thing. And um, an, an occupational therapist came in and had done observation on them and was talking about them. And you know, it was a bit of a negative one because, you know, he was, the, the child was struggling and it was, wow, and it was this, that, and they could do this and they could do that. And it was, and I remember just feeling a bit heartbroken. And then she, this, she said to me, oh, what do they like? What's their passion? Yeah. And I remember feeling a bit distraught because I didn't know. And so that made a real change. I remember just always thinking, okay, you can get caught up in thinking what a child can't do 
and it's always looking for what they can do. You know what? I'm going to find out. And my goodness me, this child had the most amazing stroke because I just gave him, I was like, I'm going to give him more opportunities to do something different and then I'll find that out. And so that's mm. sometimes those little moments you have to stop and reflect as a teacher and look at all your all your little, you know, getting all the little ducks in a row and going, ah, oh, but what have I missed? What do I not know about you? You know, and then it all puts that context and it all puts it into perspective. Mm. Yeah. It it really is. It's it's such a wonderful, you know. It's learning not to take these little things for granted, and yes. you know, just being a yeah, being a bit more connected, being more more present, and just being a bit more aware of all of these engagements and all of these relationships around you. Yeah, and you know, and I think probably yourself as a as a parent, that's all you want. You want your te- the teacher to know your child to know them well and to understand them and to know their little idiosyncrasies and to and to be and just to be you know really gunning for them whatever whatever they want to do be their number one supporter behind them that's really important and I I always say that as well with women in STEM as well like I take that into my life with women you know working alongside such powerful wonderful women and the only way we can be powerful is not if you know uh, you know male counterparts raise us up but it's because of each other and that is a really mm. important thing. The only reason we're, you know, the reason we're strong is because our other colleagues support us and drive us and are passionate about what we do. There's so It's so easy to bring someone down or to do that. But, you know, the biggest strength is with a, is backing one another and believing in one another. And so that's what yeah. I hope as well for young girls as well, that they know that there are us older females and that all, you know, yeah, in the sense of environment, just going there, gunning for young people, making sure that we help and support them along the way. Exactly. And, yeah, there's no reason for, you know, the cutting down the tall poppy thing. Like, there's absolutely mm. zero need for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yes. That is a big thing. That was something I, I suppose, oh, you know, I know the syndrome, but I think that was quite a big thing when I got to Australia, that kind of – I hadn't even heard of that. And then when I heard about it, I was like, oh, my goodness. How many times have you experienced that along the way or seen it yeah. happen? And you, as you're right, there is absolutely no purpose to that. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't. Um, yeah. If anything, we should be putting the fertilizer down and growing it as tall <laughs> as we can <laughs> exactly. to make sure that those poppies are really strong and proud. That's right. Okay. So let's see, it's probably a good place to kind of wind up there. <laughs> so we'll move on to some of those other questions. Okay. So what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work? Oh my goodness, that's totally, yeah, you see, my family would be like, oh, you live for your work, you love work, so yeah, I do, <laughs> but, uh, um, and I suppose something like reading is a big one, but that's not really unrelated, what do I like doing differently, oh my goodness me, um, biz- things, I know it sounds, and it's probably just a recent thing actually, which I've actually got quite good at, I'm not really good at keeping plants alive outside, but I've got a, I've suddenly grown in the last few years a real passion for my indoor plants. And I know that sounds silly, just um, but it's now no. on those lovely things. <laughs> I to, to be honest, I have no idea the science behind it. I'm not really doing it. I think I'm just bungling my way along doing it. But I think I get a lot of pleasure from seeing things like that grow. Maybe that's the scientist in me having things growing around. But um yeah, so um coming down from the Pilbara and coming into um into the city and finding a Bunnings was a really big thing because so my goodness me, it's a bit of a, oh, I'll just buy another plant, another plant. So that's been a lovely thing, I think, for me, is getting my plants growing in, 
you know, keeping them alive. And I think that's a just, yeah, keeping things alive probably is a good one. <laughs> um, we're doing quite a good job. My children are still there and my plants are. So that's, it's all very good. But yeah, that's a real, that's a real pleasure for me. Something like that. Yeah. It just keeps me busy and calm. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not very good at keeping plants alive. And mm. indoor plants are definitely a science because they can't have too yeah. little shade. They can't have too much yeah. sun. And it's yeah. very particular. I, and I did find, um, I, yeah, Kate, I used to start using some of those apps to try and tell me what was wrong. But now I'm kind of a little bit better at kind of having a little bit of gut instinct of maybe what's right and what's wrong. But yes, no, I, I do enjoy that. And I think, um, and people come with it, oh, that's a lovely plant. And I kind of feel very, very, oh, very proud of myself. However, um, I have no <laughs> idea what their names are. I don't know. What, it's purely aesthetic. So that's quite a pretty one. I'll get that because it's got nice colors on it or yeah, that looks fair. like it's going to grow well. That's purely what it is. <laughs> that one will stay alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a spot right for that one. <laughs> Still good. Yeah, that's mm. awesome. Yeah. And which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? Uh, um, good Night, Mr. Tom. Ooh. That book was... Um, uh, I actually still remember where I was. I was on the top bunk of uh, my bed. And I got to the last page and I just remember that overwhelming feeling of just despair and loss that you've got to the mm. end and it wasn't going to continue. And yeah. that is my biggest love of reading. I absolutely love reading and I'm passionate about reading to children because it's actually, we can look at all the science of reading and lots of stuff, but we can actually look at the, um, the emotion with reading and the story and the believability. We talked about that before. Um, and with that book, and it was all about a little boy being evacuated during the war to live with someone. And I remember just at the end, just feeling like I'd been part of something. I was part of that person's life for that period of time. And you were really yeah. in that, in that moment. And they become something to you. And then when that goes, oh my goodness. And I think that's probably still what drives me to reading now. Like just knowing that actually once you start even when you're in something so deep in a book, taking that time out feels like you're stepping out of your dream and mm. you're going to try and get back to sleep to be in it. And I love that sense with reading, just being completely immersed in someone else's world and being part of it. So powerful. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's such a, you know, finding that book where you really connect is, mm. it's really a very, very profound experience. Yes. And my experience with that book is a bit different because that was required reading for English Lit <laughs> or English, one of them. But yeah, yeah, it, it really was such a powerful book. And mm. you, know, you you have books like Narnia and all those other ones where they mm. talk about the kids who have been evacuated. Yes. But that story was just really, you know, it was very impactful. And it, yeah. yeah, you did feel that despair when, you know, you, you got to the end. It's like this, this was such an incredible experience that I've just shared with this character and yeah and what we've talked about you know throughout the whole podcast um interview today I think is that um as a child it's very easy to have your own sense of your childhood is the benchmark for what others is and I remember mm. that book being something for me that acknowledged someone else's childhood was a very different experience and yes. it is it is very hard for many and um you you know, looking at now what I see with a lot of children, especially, you know, those who may have been or are displaced from their families or, you know, suffering lots of things or been taken away from a family and 
that kind of understanding, you know, I remember really changing my way of thinking that my experience was not the only way. And as a child, it's very difficult because mm. you often think inside your little bubble. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah that's, that was really powerful for me to go, oh, gosh, other people have got a very different experience. <laughs> very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love stories like that because, you know, when they're, when they're well written, you really, yeah. it really opens your mind a little bit more. And yes, yeah, that's what makes it so, you know, enriching when you actually yeah. dig straight into it. Definitely. And, you know, that power of being somewhere else, you know, I think we all have those yep. moments of escapism in a book is the perfect way to do that. And it's just, I think my, you know, big thing with, you know, my own kids sometimes is just that capturing that. I think some, I think it's a bit of a shame now, I think, but with the, the way we consume information now is very short and brief. Mm. You look at the evolution of TikTok or those little short clips where we cram information into short periods. Um, getting into a text or getting into a longer piece of work, and even when we study text, it's short and sharp, and we pull out everything we can from a hundred words. Yeah. When actually, the whole immersive experience and something longer and for longevity is something that you know can never be underestimated. I think. I, yeah, I completely agree. Like, I'm all for long form. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. On that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hence these long conversations. But yes. you, you can't get the kind of the depth and the nuance in the shorter ones. And I feel that mm. you know, that was originally what I wanted. I wanted something, you know, 20-minute kind of length conversation. And the first one that I recorded went over an hour and there's no way I can make this shorter and <laughs> you know, still have yeah. that quality about yes. it because yes. we can't condense someone's life into 20 minutes it just doesn't happen no, no very yeah. much so and you know I think which is a beautiful thing about you know I think one of other podcasts I've listened to is the you know the desert island discs that the BBC do and it is that journey of someone's life through different mediums um and you're right you kind of it's such every stage is so important to somebody and it's really it's lovely to share that with somebody um, and spend time with yeah. people just having that conversation a bit self-indulgent about you know about you it's lovely <laughs> yeah. it's a really nice thing yeah and it's really such a privilege speaking to you know all mm. of you because you know you're, you're sharing these amazing stories about you know who you are and what you're passionate about and that's what I love about it yeah well thank mm -hmm. you very much for having us <laughs> it's a yes. pleasure to do Not it <laughs> and I love doing this too <laughs> and lastly to wrap up yeah. What advice would you give someone who would love to do what you do and what advice should they ignore? It's about passion. It's everything is about feeling, you know, it's in your heart, how you feel. Like do this um, because that passion that you have when people succeed is what drives you. You can be, you can have your own success along the way and I've been so lucky to achieve such success and be recognised for that but there is no greater feeling than when someone else succeeds. Someone who you've invested time, you've invested you know, a lot of um, your heart and soul into a relationship and building that. When they succeed, it will supersede any of your own. So I would always say teaching, you are so lucky, be a teacher, change the lives of so many people and do it with the passion, the determination. Um, it is at all, it really is what it's all about. And, you know, in terms of ignoring advice along the way, um, 
it takes a long time, but ignore that negativity of what sometimes can happen in the profession, you know, that it's hard and it's, you know, trust your instinct that believe what you believe in, you know, think along the journey. I'm a good teacher. I can change things. I will change things. Other things are there to set to try us, but at no point ever doubt the power that you have as an educator on so many people. You know, we are losing so many people in our profession for lots and lots of reasons. Um, and, you know, I just, I suppose, want to say to them, you know, so many people believe in you. So many people value who you are, what you're doing, and you are so important to so many people, um, especially the future. So many people will look back and say that because of you, my life was so different. So, um, yeah, if you want to be a teacher, please do it. Please do it. And please do more more science teachers. Be that passionate science teacher. <laughs> do those crazy things. Take it. Push the boundaries. If somebody says no to you, my goodness me, I was actually met with a, my previous principal a few days ago, and he said, oh, my goodness. He said, I could not say no to you enough times. And it was just no, no, no. And then you would keep going and keep going and keep going and change things and he said you know it was eventually a combination of yes I started to believe what you were saying and then secondly you know I realized you were wearing me down to you know but I but it was <laughs> you know, if someone says no to you and you passionately believe in something don't give up don't give up keep going if you think it's something really good for your kids your students and you want it to make it happen knock down those barriers because by you knocking down those barriers someone else sees you changing it and they will do the same you know take out yep. the glass ceilings where absolutely future looks good yeah <laughs> it does look good especially <laughs> teachers like you <laughs> oh, fingers crossed <laughs> yeah. i think that everything that you're doing you're doing with passion and conviction mm -hmm. and i think that's all anyone can really ask for <laughs> yeah. yeah and i and you know we have to look to the future you know we've got the we have and that is the beauty you know that I have in my job that I actually can see the future. I'm looking into the future and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing young people and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you are beautiful, fabulous people mm. who will change the world. And my goodness, I will be so lucky if I'm part of that world change that, you've, that you're going to go and do. So yeah, it's looking good. It's amazing. Looking good from where I'm standing. <laughs> amazing. Lock out all the other yep. noise. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's an amazing view. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much, Anna, for speaking with me today. It has been so wonderful speaking with you again about thank you. You know, your journey and <laughs> your experiences in teaching and you know, all the ways that we can help bring everyone up and forward into the future. So yes. if people would love to know more about what you do, where can they go? Yeah, so um, I'm... I have got my LinkedIn profile, um, Anna Ritzma. I also have a Twitter handle, so at Anna Ritzy. So I try and share some of the good work that I see in what I'm doing. Um, and obviously, at the, uh, currently, I'm working as a, as a primary programs manager and STEM innovation manager at the Polypharma Foundation. So if you're not familiar with the Polypharma Foundation, please do go and look and see the amazing work of our students and our, you know, the people in our field. Just... You know, they are going to be those leaders of tomorrow. And I'm so, so proud to be part of something that is um, really doing amazing things. So that'd be great to see you all on that journey. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Right. So, yeah, thank you so much again. And, yeah, I hope everyone checks out the Polypharma Foundation. Because <laughs> 
the work and that's coming out of that is just incredible to see and mm. yeah it's really wonderful to see everyone being so passionate about getting <laughs> you know all of this creativity out through stem yeah. and all these other projects yeah, yeah. so thank you again and yeah have an incredible rest mm-hmm. of your day thank you very much michelle lovely to see you take care lovely to see you you too I've loved speaking with Anna about her journey and passion for education and being able to guide and nurture our future generations on their own journeys of inquiry and discovery. To learn more about Anna and what we discuss on this show or to connect with us, please visit the Steampowered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about the Polypharma Foundation at pff.com.au and Anna on LinkedIn and Twitter at Anna Ritzy, the links for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steam Powered on Patreon at Steam Powered Show, the link for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.